What that means is he's in us. If you love God, he loves you. He lives inside of you. That makes you a carrier of his presence. Wherever you go, he goes. Wherever he goes, you also go. Right? There's things, think about it. Those of you who, uh, who are married, you know, we, we saw the pictures of the, the couples have been. And, and there's things that a husband would never do, never say, never look at if his wife was always in his presence. Walking hand in hand. Right? And likewise, with the wives, if your husband was always right next to you, holding your hand, there's things that you wouldn't say, things you wouldn't do, places that you wouldn't go, right? God says that it's the same thing when you have a relationship with him. You are always in his presence. Can you imagine doing some of the things we do with an understanding that he goes with us? It doesn't make sense. Verse 17, 1 John 4, 15 through 17, through 19. It says, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. As he is, so are we. What is, what is the as is Jesus is? Question is, it says that we are as he is, so what is it that he is? How does he walk around in the world? How does he walk around on the earth? You know how he walked around? As somebody who was not afraid of death because he knew he was going to live forever. Why would you be afraid of dying if you knew that you couldn't die, that you can't be killed, that you would be resurrected, that you were going to live forever, that you don't have to be in a hurry to get things that you should be waiting for? You don't have to get involved in things that only have temporary pleasure because you know you're going to have eternal pleasure. So when the scripture says, as he is, so are we, that's how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to live with this understanding and this idea that we're going to live forever, that we don't have to be afraid of dying. You don't have to be afraid of getting yours right now because you might not be able to get it later. As he is, so are we in this world. And then finally, verse 18, 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. He who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. There's no fear in love and perfect love casts out fear. If we're afraid this morning, we're missing something. There's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. There should be nothing that we're afraid of. We're not going to miss out on anything. We're not going to waste our lives. Our relationships that are struggling, they're going to get better. Our problems within our family are going to be solved. Our children that are stumbling and struggling are going to gain strength. There's no fear in love. If you love the Lord and he abides in you and you abide in him, all we're doing is waiting for his promises to come to fruition. If we're living in fear, we're living outside of the presence of God. We're set free from that bondage. But how? By perfect love. And who's the only one that has perfect love? Jesus. Right? When we encounter that kind of love, I love to watch people when they, when they get saved and they encounter the love of Christ. Right? When somebody gets up here like David and says, yeah, this is the first time I went golfing and I was actually sober. Why? Because I encountered the love of Christ. I didn't get a rule book that says I can't drink when I golf. I encountered the love of Christ, and it set me free from bondage that I was in before. If our eyes are open, we can see what happens when we encounter the true love of God, and it's amazing. We find joy there. We find happiness there. We come out of death, and we enter into life. In, in uh, Monsters, Inc., that's what the whole story is about, or the whole movie is about, is these doors that people walk through. Where... Where will you end up in the doors that you're trying to go through? Where do they lead? The places you want to go right now, the doors that you've been trying to open, you're looking for keys, you're trying to open them up. There might be a big sign that God says, don't go this way, don't open this door, but we're trying to kick it down. Where does that door lead? Where have the doors that we've gone through in the past, where have they led us? Have they led us into life? Have they led us into perfect love? Have they led us into a place where we live without fear? Or have they led us to somewhere else? Why do we keep going through those same doors? So what should it look like in the life of a believer when it comes to walking without fear, walking through the right doors, living in perfect love? What should that look like? David says this in Psalm chapter 23. I think most of us have, have heard Psalm 23. But let's listen to David, who I believe is somebody who, who's not really walking in fear. He's walking in love. Psalm 23, verse 1 says, the Lord is my shepherd. You guys heard this before? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. 
He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. And surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Think about that. The happiest place on earth is wherever the presence of God is. We're supposed to be carriers of the presence. So even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we're not afraid because we're not alone. We have the presence of God with us. It doesn't say you're not going to walk through valleys. It doesn't say that you're not going to be in dark places. What it says is, I will fear no evil. David says, even when I'm in those places, because you're with me. He doesn't say you're close or you know I'm there or I remember that you told me to go that way, so I'm just going to keep on walking. He said, you are with me. I am a carrier of your presence no matter where I go, so I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to fear anything. I don't have to fear anybody. What an amazing thing. <clears throat> the valley of the shadow of death is a scary place. Many of us, maybe right now, or maybe we can remember a recent experience, and maybe some of us are, are looking to the next few weeks or the next few months, and we see a dark valley that we have to go through, right? You've been maybe there before. You understand what it feels like. You understand that, man, this is, this is not somewhere that I want to be right now. This is not something I want to be going through right now. Our perspective, like we talked about with, with, with Christ and his perspective on joy, it has to change. We're going to go through dark times. We're going to lose jobs. We're going to get new jobs. We're going to lose uh, resources, and we're going to find new resources. We're going to lose relationships and enter into new relationships. That's part of the gig, living in this world. That's why Jesus says that you're in this world but not of this world. And even when he prayed, do you guys remember what he said to his father? I don't pray that you take them out. I want you to leave them here and keep them from evil. We're not going to get out of this place. Death is big. The shadow that it casts is scary, right? But we have to refuse to succumb to the fear. We're not walking by sight. We're walking by faith. So here's the picture of David walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And he says, you know what, death? I see you. I see that you're big. And I see that you're scary. And I see what you're causing other people to, the way you're causing other people to live. And I see how you used to cause me to live because you're so big and because you're so scary, but I'm not going to fall for that anymore. You say, you know what? Shadow, right? The shadow in the valley of death, what it's saying is what? You're blocking out the sun. I can't feel the warmth of God. I can't see the light right now. But you know what? I'm not worried about that either. I have a fire inside of me. I have the sun alive inside of me. You could try to block the rays from warming me and reminding me that God is real and that he loves me, but his, his life and his light and his warmth is inside of me. Is that how we walk through our valleys? With confidence, without fear, telling people and prophesying about where we're going to be six months from now? What's going to happen in our relationship six months from now? how we're going to live when X, Y, and Z happens. That's what David's talking about here. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9. His word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. Many of us have run across people like that, where they have a peace that surpasses understanding. Their life is just jacked up and tore up. Everything's wrong. Everything's falling apart. But they seem to have more confidence and peace than we have. Because something is inside of them. Something is alive that won't allow them to be depressed and won't allow them to be addicted, won't allow them to lose confidence and hope in their relationships. It's the spirit of God. It's the life of God. It's his testimony that we've seen time and time again in the lives of others. Here's a good way to look at it. The opposite of life is death. Say amen. The opposite of joy or happiness is fear. You're either going to get one or the other. Either you're walking in life and you're going further into life or you're headed towards death. Either you're walking into happiness and joy and beginning to live in that or you're living in fear. Everything, the sky is falling. It's never going to work out. We're never going to survive. We've been saying that for decades. You're still alive. You're still here. You made it to church today. You're not going to die. I remember when Nicholas was here, he was talking about sometimes we make mistakes. He says, but hey, nobody dies. You're still alive. There should be some freaking hope around this place. 
So fear is the door that leads to death, and joy is the door that leads to life, right? If you're living in fear, that's the door you're opening, and you know what you're going to get on the other side when you live in fear? Exactly what you expected to get, death and destruction, nothing good coming out of it. If you look at joy and you begin to move into joy, you'll walk into life. That's the door that will be open to you. John chapter 10, verse 7, Jesus says this. Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door. Say the door. I am the door of the sheep. All whoever came before me, they are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And I will go in and out, or excuse me, and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. He says, I'm the door. Everybody who came before me, they're thieves and they're robbers, right? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He says, hey, I got a door for you. It's a nice door. It's already unlocked. Come on in. What do you want? It's right on the other side. I promise you. There's going to be happiness. There's going to be fun. There's going to be stimulation. Open this door. Come on in. But what does it say? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The end when you walk through that door is death every single time. And it's not something new. I'm telling you, we've experienced it. It promises a good time, but is it ever a lasting good time? What ends up happening is our happiness is destroyed and we get robbed of our joy. Every time you go through those doors, it's going to be different with this guy. We'll sleep together. It's going to work out different this time. And what's not? It's the same door, and it's going to lead to death. It's going to be different this time because I'm more mature, and I can handle my, my dope. I got this under control. I'm not going to lose everything. No, you're not. You're going to lose everything again. Because every time you go through that door, it leads to the same exact place. Jesus says, I am the door that leads to life. Hebrews 12, 2, he says, I endured the cross for the joy that was set before me. I went to the cross for joy because I knew that I was going to open a door for everybody who wanted to come into life. Everybody who was tired of going through those other doors and leading to death, I'll go to the cross so I can open a door that leads to, that, to, to life. The cross is that only door. Heaven's gate swing wide is what we're saying today. In Ephesians 1, 7, it says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Only through the blood of Christ, that's the only door where we can enter, find joy, find happiness, find love, find hope, find salvation, find forgiveness. Here's the thing about fear. It's powerful. Fear is powerful. How many of you have just made decisions just because you were afraid? Afraid of, of not getting something, afraid of not having something, just taking what you can get. It's like those game shows that we watch where, what's, what's the one where, where they get to choose either, like he'll put cash in front of their face or you can say, oh, I'll take the 300 bucks or there's something behind the door. They're afraid of getting a whack prize or they're afraid of nothing being behind there so they take what's right there in front of them, that little $300. We do the same thing with God because of fear. And not knowing what's behind the other door, not knowing what's six months ahead, not knowing if it's going to work out for our favor, and not trusting God, we just take whatever we see, whatever we can get our hands on. Well, this door's closed and it's open. I'm going to walk through this one. He says everything works for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I can promise you, whatever door is of the Lord, something good is behind it for you. It's worthwhile. I don't know anybody who can testify and say, I waited on the Lord and I was disappointed. What we always say is, I was disappointed because I couldn't wait anymore. I was tired of waiting. I saw other people opening their doors. I saw other people with gifts, and I just did what I wanted to do. But it's never, I waited on the Lord, and you know what? When he finally gave me what he had for me, it sucked. It was worse than what I had offered before. I don't know if anybody's ever heard that testimony. Everybody who waits on the Lord, happy is he, happy is she. We look back and say, man, what I, what I got from the Lord is so much better than what I had before. Thank God that I sacrificed those other things and my hands were open and ready for what he had for me. Right? We have an alternative to the enemy's doors. Right now, you probably, if you're here in this place, I guarantee you there's a door that... Either you're really close to opening that you shouldn't, 
or maybe you've already got the knob ha- uh, turned and the door is being pushed open and you're about to step through it, I want to tell you this morning, you have an alternative. You don't have to go through that door. You don't have to enter into that place again, uncertain and just hoping that something good might happen. God's already made a provision. He's already given us an alternative for where we can go. Ray, can you, uh, can you hit the lights, play that second one, please? So, I talk about an alternative. We know that there's power in fear. We know that it can be used against us. We know that it causes us to make bad decisions. But what I love about this movie, what I love about that part in particular, is that we see that there's actually more power in joy than there is in fear. Right? See, when she's, she's afraid, they're afraid, there's power in it. You see her start to scream, start to cry. That's why, if you haven't watched the movies, you guys need to either have kids or watch movies with kids. We don't even watch adult movies anymore. We're going to go see Beauty and the Beast today after church. And I don't even care what everybody's saying about some of the scenes and that kind of stuff because Disney doesn't raise my kids. I raise my kids. So we'll make sure that we teach them the right things. Uh, but we don't even watch adult movies. We just see kids' movies. This one, though, she is afraid, she's crying, she's sad, and that's what fear is trying to take out of us, the life out of us, right? And they try to uh, uh, bottle it up. But you see, when she got happy and she started laughing, it was more powerful than what they could get out of fear out of her. You see it in the video, right? When she starts laughing, when she starts smiling, they couldn't even contain it. It blew the lights out. You know the same is true for us? The life that we experience and what fear does to us and what it takes out of us, if you could compare it to what a life of joy in the Lord was like, it wouldn't compare at all. The you that most of us know cannot compare to the you that is filled with joy, the joy of the Lord. It's night and day. Look at this progression. First, the enemy has us bound to sin by the fear of death, right? So you're a slave. you got these handcuffs on. You're not even close to living the life that you should be living, that you're called to live. You're in bondage. Second, God opens our eyes to see what's being done to us. It shows us the consequence of sin and death, and we develop a, a fear of God, right? When you're just living in sin, you have, no, you have no understanding. But when God opens your eyes and you see, dang, I'm a sinner. I'm bad, and that's not good. There's a consequence for the way I'm living. The same death that I'm experiencing in my life and the things that I want and the things that I desire, I'm going to experience that eternally. I know there's a hell, and I'm going to end up there. That's a fearful place to be. Does anybody remember when, when, you, when you realized that you were going to hell? Anybody? Look at you guys. Straight liars. 
I remember what it felt like. I was terrified. When God opened my eyes to show what I was doing and how I was living and the way that I was thinking and the way that I was using people, the way that I was lying, the way that I didn't care about my body or anybody else's body, the way that I was an addict, I knew I was going to hell. I knew it was real. God opened my eyes and I was afraid. It's okay. I was afraid. Like, dang, Lord, what do I have to do to not be terrified like I'm terrified right now? That's stage two. Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and destruction. You know what that means? Is that when you get that moment of fear, when God shows you, you're going to hell. There's consequences for the way you're behaving. It says fools despise instruction and wisdom and correction. You know what they do? They get more high, and they do worse so that they can stop thinking about it. They go sit back in that circle of those same people with Satan and keep living the way that they're living. The Bible says you are a fool for doing that when I've given you an alternative, right? See, fear of the Lord and his punishment for sin is just the beginning. When he opens our eyes to see what is going on around us, to see the enemy, to see what's been happening with fear, it's just the beginning. He gives us wisdom and instruction, and he says, I have a way of escape. I have another door for you. That's the third stage. He says, we should be entering into life and into joy. If you're a Christian right, and you still live in constant fear of the Lord, uh, you're mistaking what it is that God's trying to do in your life. How many of you know Christians that are like, I can't do this, I can't do that, I'm afraid God's going to strike me down, I'm going to have to pay for this, I'm going to have to pay for that. What we do is we limit the power of God in our life. He's still there, and you're still alive, and you're still saved, but man, it's the most depressing thing to see people who just live in fear. They never get to express or experience all that God has in this life for us because we're in bondage to that fear still when we're supposed to be set free. What's exciting to see is when people take joy in serving God, when people take joy in reading his word, when people take joy in fellowshipping, when people can't wait for the next event, when people take joy in giving, right, instead of saying, you know, I've had pe people come up to me all the time and say, do I have to give? Is it still like, like the tithe and the 10%? Do I have to do that? I had somebody come up to me today. I'm not going to tell you who it was, but we have several major events throughout the year. And somebody came up to me this morning. They tried to meet with me last week. Then they came up to me this morning and said, I felt the Lord telling me that, that my family needs to pay for that whole event. You see the difference between somebody who's living in joy and somebody who's living in fear? I can't give 10% because I won't survive. And the other person saying, I don't know how God's going to do it, but he told me that this is what we need to do as a family, so we're going to do it. We're just going to believe that he's going to meet our need. You see the difference between Christians, one who's living in fear and one who's living in the joy of the Lord and trusting the Lord and believing that they're going to see God move? One of the unique things about being the pastor is that on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, I meet couples who don't think anything is going to happen for them and that it's, it's doomed. And I meet other couples who can't wait to see what God's going to do around the corner. It's a tough position for me to be in thinking like, man, it's available to all of us. The fear of the Lord and the consequence of sin is just the beginning. When he opens our eyes, then you need to be, begin to walk through the doors that, he's, that he has opened for us that lead to life and that lead to joy. It's like a power surge. When you get into that place with God, it's like an overwhelming uh, presence of the power of God and of the love of God and his ability to change our lives. And it's available to all of us. So it's been a while since I've done this. I want to do it uh, this morning. I just want to read a story to you guys from the scriptures. Uh, and this story is about a man who was, who was bound by fear and just the process in a short period of time of God taking that fear, doing away with it, and giving him a power surge. Seeing his life completely changed and transformed just by trusting God, by testing God, and by walking through the doors that God has laid open for him. God doesn't make it rocket science for us, church. You don't have to be special. He says, matter of fact, I, I don't use typically the special people. I use the weak people of the world that will just trust me, that will just walk through the doors that I've opened for them. So this is one of those stories. Uh, of man dealing, or excuse me, God dealing with his fear and giving him uh, just an amazing power and an amazing future. I'm going to read from Judges chapter 6, verse 11. And this is going to be it for us uh, this morning to share a couple things on this scripture. 
you guys hear me? I feel like I'm yelling. Ray, can you do something? Judges chapter 6, verse 11. Amen. Before I even read it, uh, why don't we bow our heads real quick? I want to ask, ask the room, is anybody just afraid of anything right now? Like something has got you bound, something's got you worried, something's got some anxiety in your life, something's got something. Amen. Raise your hands up so we can see them. Bow your heads, close your eyes, just between you and the Lord and then me. Anybody else? Keep them up real quick. Just anything that you're worried about right now, stressing about. Amen. You can put your hands down. That's good. So hopefully this will, will minister to all of us. Judges chapter 6, verse 11 says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree. I want you just to listen. I'm going to ask Ray not to put it up. I just want you to listen to the story. The angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Orpah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon, say Gideon, threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. All right? So he's threshing wheat in a winepress because he's hiding from the Midianites who are uh, an invading and overpowering uh, army. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. He's hiding He's afraid. He's got to eat, so he's threshing wheat somewhere where they usually um, crush grapes for wine. So nobody's thinking anybody's there, so he's hiding and getting his wheat so he can make his bread. And it says the angel of the Lord appeared to him there. What that means is all of us that just raised our hand and said we're dealing with something, what that means is God will meet you there. Right? He's afraid and hiding, and God went there and met him. The angel of the Lord says, you mighty man of valor. Right? So whatever you're going through, whatever your situation is, imagine Whatever it is that you're afraid of and you feel too weak to overcome, you feel like you don't have the resources to make it through, God speaks life into that situation. He calls you the direct opposite. Right? I remember what it was like uh, when Mary and I got, got engaged. I was happy. We talked about it at our marriage event. Just overwhelmed with joy, but at the same time there was fear. You know why? Because I had no idea what it meant to be a husband. No idea what it meant to be a father. No idea what it meant to work and not only just have to take care of yourself, but to take care of a woman and to take care of kids. And all the things that were ahead of me, there was fear. But I, I specifically remember this feeling of God calling me what I was not at the time. He was calling me a good husband. He was calling me a good father. He was calling me a hard worker. And I was like, man, I'm none of those things. The same way with Gideon. He's like, you mighty man of valor, get up. Some things are about to happen. He's like, no, that's not me. I don't even believe. There's no miracles happening. Our parents told us about all the power of God. We haven't seen any power. We're slaves to the Midianites right now. God calls things that do not exist as if they do exist. Does that make sense? Amen. So in verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. The presence. Say the presence. It's just the presence of God. He doesn't say, you know what, no, you're not weak. And you know what, your family isn't the weakest family. And you know what, you're going to be a strong soldier. He didn't even address those things. You know why? Because they were true. You know what he said? He said, I'll go with you. You'll have my presence. You're not going to be more than you are. I'm going to be with you. And with me, you have everything. It's okay to, to be insufficient and to not have enough if you have the presence of God. He says, I sent you. <clears throat> Verse uh, 17, then he said to him, if now I found favor in your sight, show me a sign that it's you who talks with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering. Say offering. And set it before you. And God said, or he said, I'll wait until you come back. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat, unleavened bread, an ephah of flour, the meat he put in a basket. He put the broth in a pot and he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them to him. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, lay them on this rock. And pour out the broth, and he did so. 
Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of his staff that was in his hand, touched the meat, the unleavened bread, and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. So he doesn't have enough. He can't meet the need. He's afraid. He's hiding. He has this mountain ahead of him. And when he meets the Lord and the Lord begins to, to speak into his life, he says, you know what? I want to make an offering. I know who you are and I want to give something. I don't have much, but I'm going to give it. I love that we talked about the, the widow with her last two mites. I love that we talked about the fact that many of us don't have a lot, but we have something. We have something to give. I was meeting with some of the leaders yesterday, and one of the, one of the ladies in the church, I'm not going to tell you who it was, Jen, called me. And she was like, hey, I just want to let you know, found uh, an infestation of, of bugs. And I was like, really an infestation of bugs? She was like, yeah, there was a dead one and a live one. I was like, girl, you must not know what an infestation is. <laughs> one dead one and one live one is not an infestation. She was like, but I want to tell you in advance. I was like, you know what? Thank you for that. Thank you for calling me. I was like, whatever we need, let's buy it. Let's get it. Let's put it everywhere. We don't want to see that third bug. But when I hung up the phone with her and I was sitting with the leaders, you know what I told them? I said, it's crazy to me to think that on a Saturday, right, in this place where there was no church and there was nothing going on and there was no people, we were not a people yet, it's crazy to me to think that God has done so much that there's somebody who loves the church enough to come and clean it on a Saturday. There's somebody who loves the church enough to not only come and clean it, but to call me and tell me about something that she sees that might be a problem in the future. I said, I feel so blessed to, to be her friend, to be her pastor, and to be a part of this church, right? It doesn't matter if you feel like you don't have a lot. And it doesn't matter if you feel like uh, whatever the issue is. What Gideon did, he said, you know what, I'm going to go back and get what I have, and I'm going to come, and I'm going to lay it down before the Lord, and I'm going to give it to him. Right? There's honor in what you lay down to the Lord and what you give to God here. There's no reason that there's a single person in this church who cannot give something to the Lord. When you know who he is, you know what you're up against, you know you live in fear, you don't wait for him to give you something, you give him everything you've got. That's what Gideon does, right? And it says that the Lord receives it. He says, look, let me show you that I see your gift. Let me show you that I see your offering. He uh, causes a flame to come out of the rock, the fire of God, the rock of our salvation, the cornerstone, consumes and receives the gift from Gideon. And then in verse 22, Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. This is not just an angel. This is the angel of the Lord. When you read your scriptures, that means Jesus. He's having an encounter with Jesus. So Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, for I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, peace be with you. Do not fear. Don't be a slave to fear. Don't be afraid. I don't care that you're living the life right now in hiding. I'm God and I'm telling you, don't be afraid. You shall not die, he tells him. Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Remember our scripture in the New Testament where it says Jesus came and he died in the flesh. Why? Because those of us who have been our whole lives in bondage to fear of death. So here's Jesus talking to Gideon and telling him, don't be afraid. You're not going to die. 24, so Gideon built an altar there to the Lord, called it the Lord is peace. To this day it's still there. Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, tear down the altars of Baal that your father has, cut down the wooden image that's beside it, build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement. Take the second bull, offer a burnt sacrifice with wood, uh, with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. Right? So he's saying it's all those doors of fear that you used to walk through, all the, uh, all the places that you've been and all the other gods that you've served, he says, tear them down and then use them as the wood to start a fire. Mm. Verse 27, Gideon took ten men from among his servants, did as the Lord had said to him, but because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. It's like Nicodemus when he came to see Jesus in the New Testament. He came at night because he was afraid of the people, right? Same thing with Gideon. He wants to do it, but he's still afraid. So it's okay when we first start coming to church and somebody asks you, hey, where are you going Wednesday night? Let's go out. Oh, no, I'm going to be busy. And you come at night over here to church, but you don't tell nobody. But after like a year or two, tell somebody where you're at. Post it on Facebook. I'm at church. 
Gideon took the men, they went by night. Verse 28, when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was the altar of Baal torn down, and the wooden image that was beside it was cut down. The second bull was being offered on the altar which he had built. So they said to one another, who's done this thing? And when they had inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, his father, bring out your son that he may die. He's torn down the altar of Baal, and because he's cut down the wooden image that was beside it, but Joash said to all who stood against him, would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him put to death by, be put to death by morning. If he's a god, let him plead for himself because his altar has been torn down. Therefore, on, the day, or on that day, he called him Jerubbabel, saying, let Baal plead against him because he's torn down his altar. Then all the Midianites, Amalekites, the people of the east gathered together, crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. He blew the trumpet, and the men gathered behind him. He sent messengers throughout all Manasseh who also gathered behind him. He also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali. They came to meet them. Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have said, look, before I go on, verse 37. He's about to work with God and test God about confirmation from God. But I want to tell you something about Gideon's father. What I believe is not said in here, but it's said in my spirit, is that Gideon's father was a man that lived in fear. He's the ruler and the leader of that town. He's the one that lets the altars of Baal stand, right? He doesn't say anything. He doesn't come against it until what? His son does something about it, and then he gets a little bit of boldness when they want to come against his son. He says, what does he say? Baal's not even a real god. Well, then why do you have altars of his up? You know how many of us live like that? We let altars stand. We let others be praised. We let the people we love and care about worship and serve other gods when we know it's not real and when we know it's hurting them and we know it's hurting us, but we live in fear regardless. How long do you think Joash, Gideon's dad, would have continued to live in fear and let those altars stand and let everybody go to hell because of it? How many of us are living in fear? And letting things stand that shouldn't be standing. When we know there's no life in them. We know there's no hope in it. I think it's amazing that if, if Gideon didn't do what he, what he did, his father would have let all that continue to happen. And then he finally gets some boldness because Gideon makes a decision for Jesus. So he tells God, look, I'll put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there's dew on the fleece only and it's dry on the ground, I'll know that you'll save Israel by my hand, as you've said, and it was so. Gideon says this, I'm going to lay out my jacket. If it's you telling me to go to battle, if it's you telling me to go through your door, if it's you telling me not to go through this door, if it's you telling me to get out of this relationship, if it's you telling me to ask for help and to get counseling, if it's you, God, here's what I want. Verse 37, I'm going to lay out a fleece. If it's dry only on the ground, I'll know that it's you, right? I'm going to lay out my jacket. There's going to be dew. I want the fleece to be soaking wet, but I want the ground to be dry. And then I'll know it's you, and I'll do whatever you told me to do. How many of us have made promises like that to God? You just do this one thing, God. I'll know it's you. I'm just going to I'm gonna run. If you just give me a job, I'm going to tithe. I promise. You just give me one more relationship. You just bring her back to me. I'm going to be faithful. We're gonna, I'm going to be down for it. You're hunging over the toilet. God, if, you, if, you just, if I just make it, I promise I'm not going to drink it. Come on. Gideon does this. Verse 38, and it was so. God's like, okay. You want it wet and then you want the ground dry? It was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece and a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, don't be angry with me, but let me speak just one more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. Right? We always come back with another request of God, right? Lord, I know I said I was going to tithe if you gave me a job, but now if you give me a raise, I promise I got more than enough now. And God's like, okay. You know how many times God has done that with me? I'm not pointing the finger at you guys. I keep telling God, just do this one more thing. Just do that one more thing. If you really do this, I promise I'm going to do that. And that's what Gideon's doing. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. Seven, uh, chapter 7, verse 1. Then Jerubbabel, that's Gideon, 
And all the people were with him. They rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod. They camped with, uh, of the Midianites. It was on the north side of them by the hill of Moray in the valley. So remember the valley of the shadow of death? So now picture Gideon. He's camped out. He's got his soldiers. The other army is there. There's a valley of death literally between them. He's tested God. He's now a man of valor. He's ready to go to battle. He's going to do what he has to do. The Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. Lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand saved me. God looked at Gideon and said, look, man, you called all these other hoods to come and fight with you. There's just too many now. Because if you all go and fight, you know what you're going to say? Oh, we did this. Right? When, there, when there's no church and there's three people and, and we're like, God, we believe in you and we trust you and God's going to do something. And then all of a sudden there's, there's a group of leaders. Then all of a sudden there's a bunch of volunteers. You know it's easy to say, oh, no, we're doing this now, God. We make this happen. God's like, no, 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 I make it happen. You have too many with you. That army's too large, and if I let you win with that army, you're going to think you did something when the reality is I do everything. You do nothing. Verse 3, now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, God's talking to Gideon, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. Listen, he's got an army of 32,000 men ready to fight, showed up to fight, come to church every week. And then he says, God tells him, tell the ones who are afraid to go home. So imagine Gideon turns around, 32,000 people, hey, whoever's afraid, whoever's scared, y'all need to go home. One, two-thirds of the whole army turned around and said, I'm afraid, and went home. Which is why I can ask the church today, Who's afraid? Who's afraid of something? Who has fear? It's not, it's not something new. What we're going through as a church is exactly what this army went through and exactly what they did when they came out of uh, Egypt to begin with. There was a lot of people who were afraid. It's not saying that they're not part of God's army, and it's not saying that they're not children of Israel. What it's saying is they're walking in fear when they should be walking in joy and in happiness and in confidence and in peace. you got to ask yourself, do you want to be one of the two-thirds who live their Christianity out in fear or the one-third who live it out in confidence and in joy and in peace? Because it's up to you. It's up to each and every one of us what it's going to be like. There's no turning back. You're a Christian. You're a Christian. You belong to him. It's just about how you're going to live that out. The Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. <laughs> Bring them down to the water and I'll test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And whoever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go with you. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink, and the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, by the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. They went from 32,000 to 10,000, from 10,000 to 300. And you know how God deciphered who was going to be the ones to go to war and to battle? We've all seen the movie 300 with the Spartans that has nothing on Gideon's 300. Nothing on Gideon's 300. You know what he said? He said, when they come down to the river, if they get down on their knees where they can't defend themselves and they can't defend anybody else and drink the water, they ain't going with you. If they come down to the water and they lap it up with their hands and drink it out of their hands, those are the 300 that you want with you. See, with God, when it comes to fear, he knows who to send. He knows how to protect. He knows how to defend. He knows what he's going to do. And he's good at it if we trust him and we walk through that door. You know, most of us, we're not even in that door and in that area. We're in some other door that Satan opened for us. I'd rather be with Gideon and these 300 than any other door. I definitely don't want to be part of the 22,000 that are in the kingdom and just live in fear. I also don't want to be part of the 10,000 who look like they're about it, about it, but 
when it really comes down to it, they're vulnerable and they make me vulnerable. So the people took provisions, trumpets in their hands, sent away the rest of Israel. Every man to his tent retained those 300 men. Now the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. And it happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I've delivered it into your hand. God's doing all the work again. Somebody say amen. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purah, your servant. And you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Right? So God is so good. I'm not telling you to this morning that we don't get a little scared sometimes, that we don't get a little worried sometimes. God's going through all these progressions with Gideon, and even at the end of everything he showed him with the fleece, with the army, with taking the army down, giving him 300 strong men, God tells him, go down, fight. Now's the time. The door's open. Everything you want, your victory is there. And you know what God says? Hey, but if you're still a little worried, you're still a little scared, right? You got all pumped up at church, and then now you're home and you're worried again. <laughs> he tells him, if you're feeling like that, just go down there with one other guy. Just go down there with one other guy and listen to how they're talking, and I promise you, you're going to be emboldened. You're going to be strengthened. Right? Remember uh, Jonathan and his armor bearer? He said, look. We got a whole army, but if God's going to deliver them, he can deliver them with two or he can deliver them with thousands. Why can't he just use me and you? And Jonathan and his armor bearer went down there and won the whole battle, just two guys. See, the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know what God can do with two people? You know what the Bible says? Where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst, and with me all things are possible. It doesn't take an army sometimes. It just takes a man and a woman who love each other and love God. It takes a family who says, we're not going to let the devil take from us and make us live in fear. So he says, go down there. Verse, uh, verse 12. No, verse 11. You shall hear what they say, and afterwards your hands will be strengthened. We're almost done. Your hands will be strengthened to go down against the camp. So he went down with Purah, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites, the Amalekites, all the people of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels without number, as the sand by the seashore in multitudes. And when Gideon had come there, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. So picture this. Gideon just left uh, 31,700 soldiers and sent them home. He's got 300 soldiers. And he's camped on one side of a valley, and he's looking at this army. And God says, just take two men, you and one man, go down into the valley and go look at these men. He shows up, and the army is so numerous that he can't number him, them. They can't count him. As far as he looks, there is enemy soldiers in every direction. And it says that when he gets close enough to hear, there's a man in their camp, and he's just telling one of his friends about a dream he's having. I hope, just read the Bible. So good. So he's telling him this dream to his companion, verse 13, and he said, I have had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned, and the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered and said, this is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. That's not like the best way to be looked at. He said a little loaf of bread came in. That's not like a, a strong soldier. It's just a loaf of bread came in and knocked us all over. But they knew. They said it represents Gideon, the man of God, and we've been delivered into his hands. Verse 14, or excuse me, verse 15. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretations that he worshiped. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hands. Rewind back to where Gideon started. He was afraid. He was in hiding. He was in a wine press, threshing wheat, doing the wrong thing in the wrong place, and scared. And literally, within a day, a couple days, now he's leading an army, and he's inspiring other men and telling them, 
us 300 are going to go and take this innumerable army and we are going to overcome them and set the children of Israel free. Because that's what God does. He takes fear that holds us in bondage and he sets us free. He gives us joy and he gives us life and he gives us an alternative. All we have to do is make the right decision about which door we're going to go through. These kids' movies have a lot to, to teach us. In this scare factory in this movie, you have all kinds of monsters with all kinds of different abilities, and then the doors are innumerable. They just find a door, and they keep coming in, and they keep scaring and scaring and scaring. In the movie, it actually says that, uh, that every door had a particular monster that would go through it. The little girl, her monster was that little snake lizard thing. I would venture to say that many of us, it's probably the same monster that keeps getting us. We don't have like an army of monsters that we're afraid of. It's, it's usually the same one or two that keep getting us and keep tripping us up and we keep struggling with and we stay afraid and we never enter into life. I'm telling you this morning that I just believe that there's more Gideons here. There's more people that God is trying to say like, you're, you're amazing. You're beautiful, you're powerful, you're strong, you're a good husband, you're a good wife, you're a good mother, you're a good father, you have resources, you can be a good laborer, you don't need to live in debt. Whatever it is, you can overcome that sin, you don't have to live as an addict. Whatever it is, God is trying to call us what we're supposed to be, and we have to believe him. We have to test him at least. Somebody say amen. Throw a fleece out there every once in a while. Come to the altar every once in a while. Tithe every once in a while. I remember hearing the story. You know, it's funny. I'm going to close with this. We can stand and, and Isaiah, come on up here with the worship team. I remember Gary telling the story. It's funny to watch him now get up here and tell everybody else about giving. When I remember him saying, I didn't tithe. I didn't give. And I remember reading Malachi and it said, try me now in this. You robbed me in your tithing offering. Try me now in this and see if I won't open up the windows of heaven for you. So to watch him go from being a man that was afraid to give, afraid to tithe, afraid to risk his livelihood for him and his wife and his two children, to now being the father of three children, faithfully giving, and then encouraging the rest of us to give. That's exactly what happened to Gideon. From afraid to being a man of power and an encourager of other men. Man, let's stop living in fear. What do we have to lose? What do we have to lose? If we lose everything and we still have the Lord, we have the power and the presence of God. What are we so afraid of? It's just pride. In most of our relationships, it's just pride. I thought about it, and again, I, I apologize for talking to couples so much today, but I thought about it. Uh, matter of fact, I think it was this morning. I said, why don't we, why? I didn't say this to Mary because then I kind of feel like a buster, but I was saying, why don't we just concede more often? Like, why are we so afraid just to let other people win? Why are you so afraid to look weak? Why are we so afraid? It's like, this is just our marriage. This is our own home. There's nobody watching. <laughs> There's no other witnesses. Just do what it takes to be happy. Don't live in fear. Like, why do I have to get over on her? Why does she have to get over on me? Why can't we just say, you know what? Here it is, girl. I'm not afraid to be taken advantage of if that's what you want to do. I'm not afraid to keep trying. I'm not afraid to lay my life down. I'm not afraid. I don't have to be afraid. What do I have to lose? You know what I have to gain? A happy marriage. Some joy. I want to walk through that door. The altar call that I want to share with you guys this morning is, I want to encourage you to walk through a new door this morning. Why don't you bow your heads? Close your eyes. If you're here and you're not saved, that's obviously the most important door. In Exodus, it talks about how God saved the children of Israel. He did it by the blood of Christ, the blood of a lamb. It went over the door, and then they had to walk through that door and walk through that blood, and they were delivered from bondage. They were delivered from slavery. They were set free. There was no labor on their part, nothing that they had to do. All they had to do was walk through the door that was covered in blood. It's the blood of Christ and it sets us free. If you're here, 
you've never done that before, you still have sin that is unrepented of, you still carry burdens because you have not been forgiven, you're still afraid of what's going to happen to you when you die, whether that be today or whether that be 50 years from now, you're aware today that there is a consequence for sin, that you deserve hell and that's where you're going no matter what you say or how you feel about it, that's the truth. Man, there's an open door for you. God says there's an alternative. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge to say, you know what? I am afraid of that. And I do know that that's what I deserve. But I'm here to tell you that there's another door. It's bloodstained as well. It's the cross. It's available to you. You don't have to do anything but walk through it. If you've never done that and you want today to be that day, just raise your hand so I can see you. You want to give your life to Jesus. You want to be forgiven of your sins. It's a new door you've never been through. You're not sure what's on the other side. Hey, man, I see you, brother. Anybody else? It's a great door. I promise you it's good for you on the other side. I promise you there's hope there. There's forgiveness there. Your burdens get laid down. Whatever you came in here with today, you don't have to carry it anymore. Anybody else want to give your life to the Lord? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I see you. God, you're so good. You're so good that the door is still open. I'll tell you this, he could have closed that door at any time. He could have gathered the church to himself and cast everybody into hell. But thank God, when we look at the world and say, why is there abortion? Why is there murder? Why doesn't God do something about molesters? Why doesn't God do something about this, that, and the other? Believe me, he is. And by his love and his grace, he waited at least for today for these two to say, I want to come with them. I want to be saved. I don't want to get left here. I don't want to have to pay for my own sins. I don't want to have to make up for everything that I've ever done. I want to walk through that blood and be washed clean. God, we thank you that even though we live in a world of suffering, even though we live in a world of pain because we've been far from you, Lord, that it's by your love that you've waited this long not to make everything right. You waited for these two at least, Lord, and we believe that there's more. There's more in our family. There's more in our community. There's more in our workplace, Lord, that you're waiting for them, Lord. So thank you for that. We don't spit in your face and we don't tell you that you should be doing more. We praise you that you've waited this long and that you still wait for others, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for them. Thank you for their salvation this morning, God. For the rest of us, heads bowed, eyes closed. But if you know maybe you've been walking through the wrong doors, Maybe you're, you're playing with that knob and you know it's not the door. It's not the right one. You've been there before. It's the same monster that's going to be behind it. The door got dressed up. It looks a little bit different. Maybe you think that this time is going to be different. But in your soul, in your spirit, because you're a Christian, you are a carrier of the presence of God, you know that there's nothing good and nothing lasting on the other side of that door. I want to challenge you this morning to walk away from it. I want to challenge you right here, right now, to make a decision to walk away from that door and ask God to open your eyes to the door he has for you. Jesus says, I am the door. Everyone that came before me is a robber and a thief. But if you come to me, you'll find life. You'll find joy. You'll be set free from that bondage of fear and you'll enter into something amazing. If that's you, I'm going to pray I'm going to release the service. Those that gave their life to the Lord and those that want to walk through a new door, just spend maybe two, three minutes down here worshiping, asking God to open your eyes, and we're going to trust that he'll do that. Lord, we thank you for the time this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you still knock on hearts. We thank you for those that open that door this morning, Lord God. We pray a hedge of protection over them and around them, Lord God. We pray that you would fill them with your spirit afresh and anew, that they would know life, that they would know joy. We pray that those burdens they've been carrying around for so long, that they would just fall off of them, Lord. They'd no longer be a slave to fear, Lord. And we pray that just like Gideon, the decision they made to be bold this morning to take a risk to open a new door, we pray that it would inspire others. We pray that their friends would be saved, that their family would be saved, Lord God, that those that know the Lord would be encouraged to serve him greater because of what you're doing in their lives, Lord. We pray that as men and women this morning walk away from the wrong doors, that you would destroy those doors, 
that you would break them into pieces and use it to light a fire, Lord God, to give glory to you. Open new doors for people this morning, God. Show them where they're headed. Give them joy. Give them happiness and give them peace, Lord God. We pray all these things in your name and by your blood. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So church, you are released, but we're going to have the sanctuary. Just a few minutes in the sanctuary for prayer. A few minutes for new doors. So you're released. If you want a fellowship, you can. But if you feel God calling you to a new door and away from an old door, would you just come? Come and pray with us this morning.